as individuals, our um, familiarity with technology and our aptitude with technology and our skill with technology uh, is growing. Add to that our capacity to take early um, adoption of technologies, and I'm thinking specifically around um, voice-activated digital assistants that have now permeated the, home, the consumer's home. So consumers are getting very uh, adept at voice-activated communication. Welcome to another Conversations with Des. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield. And today I have the pleasure of being joined in the studio by Michael Culinary. Hi, Michael. How are you? Excellent. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for making time at the end of your busy day to join me in the studio. Now, you are the Vice President of Retail, Restaurant, Hospitality within AT&T's Global Business. That's a heady role, and I would love to dive into that in a bit more. But before we do, uh, I hope you don't mind, but... Um, could we get a little insight into you personally, uh, a bit of background? You know, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Uh, some of the, uh, I guess, uh, academic highlights of your background and uh, any career anecdotes you can share uh, that led you to this uh, exciting role within at and I, uh, I grew up in uh, upstate New York and stayed there through high school. And then I went away to college, lasted a year in the university system of New York before I came out to California with some friends for the summer and frankly never left. So I finished my baccalaureate and I also went out and did my MBA at the University of San Francisco. Um, I also uh, teach there now as an adjunct professor in the strategy uh, classroom in the MBA program. And I've been at at and I actually started out after college in advertising. I really liked the energy of that. I liked the pace of that. I liked the creativity of that, um, but I, for some reason, I got drawn into technology, and I shifted over and ended up at AT&T, and I've now been here for 25 years, always in a front-facing or customer-facing capacity, uh, and I've been running our uh, retail restaurant and hospitality business for about seven years now. What does a day in the life of uh, Michael Culinary look like? Uh, really keen to sort of get some understanding of how you juggle that day-to-day uh, mix of operation and uh, new and emerging tech. I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm on the road a lot. So I cover a lot of territory, got a lot of people and a lot of customers that we're taking care of here. Um, but it's really interesting um, business because there are so many commonalities across the industry challenges that our customers are facing that it's really rewarding to be able to constantly focus on kind of the same uh, solution set around the same business problem. So we really take technology and solve business problems, and that's often a um, surprise when we start talking specifically about the business problems as opposed to infrastructure or technology problems and solve, solve against them or a solution against business problems with technology. Over the last uh, 10 or 15 years, you must have seen some exciting tech come out with sort of you know, 3G, 4G, et cetera, the, the, you know, the, the boom of Internet and Web 2.0, et cetera. Uh, what's the balance between, or what what is your experience being with the balance between sort of technology over the last sort of ten or fifteen years versus the last two or three years where we've just seen this massive emergence of extremely disruptive things? You know, the, the, the emergence of smartphones, uh, consumers expecting this seamless, always-on, three hundred sixty-five day uh, uh, you know, user experience expectation. Uh, companies being expected to have a three hundred sixty-degree view of their digital user experience. That must have just been, you know, a heady challenge to sort of juggle both currently, but also to transition from one to the other. So my reaction to that is that um, 
you know, technology is dynamic, so it's constantly changing, it's constantly evolving, it's constantly moving. And um, technology for the sake of technology or the evolution of technology for the sake of technology is probably somewhat anticlimactic. But what has changed in the last um, few years, specifically the way you framed that question anyway, is um, what I would call the um, both the proficiency with and expectation for technology that has propagated across the consumer space. So um, as individuals, our um, familiarity with technology and our aptitude with technology and our skill with technology uh, is growing. Add to that our capacity to take early um, adoption of technologies. I'm thinking specifically around um, voice-activated digital assistants that have now permeated the home, the consumer's home. So consumers are getting very uh, adept at voice-activated communication or voice-activated interface with other technology. It's just it's adding one more dimension uh, out into the market space. And so as a B2C retail restaurant or hospitality, um, the ability to keep pace with what your consumer is expecting or to be able to drive traffic, if you will, with an experience that consumers are going to flock to, technology starts to surface as more and more of a um, key component. There's an interesting challenge I'm seeing, uh, particularly in the Southeast Asia market, and I think it's very much a global thing, is this generational shift where we sort of had the baby boomers, the Gen Xs, uh, we've sort of been through the blend of, I guess, what was sort of the, the broad scope of millennials, we're now sort of seeing Gen Zs come along. And that retail experience where, you know, my parents' parents would probably just uh, expect to go to a shop and buy things. My parents got used to doing things from catalogs and phone, having things shipped to them. Uh, I've certainly grown up and seen the internet become a thing and got used to buying things online. My kids don't like going to, you know, they're 14, 17. They don't like going to shops. They find it annoying. They, they, the hassle of going to the shop, dealing with the car parking, getting to the store. They don't mind if it's an experience like going to the cinema or, or to out to dinner, but when it comes to just buying products or services, they, they find that retail thing very weird. Uh, balancing that for, for the, the, the small, medium and large businesses must be an interesting challenge as well. Uh, what, what sort of things are you seeing people come to you with as to how do they juggle that challenge across generational shifts and, and the different levels of scale they've got to face? So if you break it down into demographics, technology still as... Um, uh, has has um, exerted great influence. So e even in boomers, there is a strong preference for text communication or the convenience of short sound bites, is the way I would refer to that. And just your perfect example with your own children, right? Younger generations respond differently or interact differently with brands um, and with technology. They're, the death of the shopping mall, as I often say, has really. Um, uh, been replaced by the smartphone because people used to drive to these destination locations with multiples of um, retailers, spend hours walking around shopping, uh, doing whatever they wanted to do. But most of that um, uh, freelance work is now done offline at the convenience of the consumer. So by the time they get to a destination, whether there's multiple brands there or not, they've done all of their homework and research, and they're looking for a convenience factor uh, and need to get in and out more quickly. So herein lies the fundamental industry shift in retail, because a legacy retail model, um, a retailer would do a variety of different tactics, exercise a variety of different tactics to drive traffic into the store and then uh, 
uh, try to influence the period of dwell time by that consumer in the store, thinking that both the attraction to and then the length of time spent there would increase the market basket or how much the consumer actually spent. Right. That may or may not have worked historically, but it doesn't work as effectively anymore because consumers are typically, number one, uh, have done most of their research and if not done a lot of their shopping, i.e. buy online, pick up on store, uh, prior to getting to the store. And then the, the, the greater attraction comes from how quickly that brand can get me in and out of the store. How much can I cover? How much of what I need can I pick up quickly? And how fast can I get out? And this, this refers, this is not just grocery and convenience. We're talking categories up to big bucks and um, luxury as well. The consumer cares more about time than anything else. And the technology becomes a significant enabler of that expedition. It's interesting. I, I, I remember witnessing walking through the likes of a hardware store or a furniture store and uh, they had literally put arrows on the floor with almost a, a, a pre-solved maze of how I navigate the store. And it reminded me of coming out of an international airport and walking through duty-free and, re- and realising that they deliberately pushed me through the duty-free section before I can get to Immigration and Customs because uh, I might want to quickly buy something. Uh, and, and I saw this happen in retail where I walked into a hardware store and, and just looked at basically buy sort of you know, classic hammer and nails, as it were, to fix the fence. And, and I was going through this loop-to-loop exercise to basically be exposed to everything uh, but I knew everything. It was a barcode, and there was a URL, and, and it was you know online buying discount. It was almost like the store was trying to send me offline. You made an interesting point there before around uh, the shift in user interfaces. I'd, I'd love to see what insights you can share around that transition, where we sort of have people uh, you know, they're talking to their phones as opposed to typing things in. Uh, the Amazon Alexa type experience of you know. Uh, uh, you know, asking the device to, to either make a call or search or something. And the, the, I guess the shift to less thinking and just consuming around what we've seen with Netflix where, you know, they're leveraging machine language and, and artificial intelligence to not just tell us what other things people have watched, but to get to know our personality and our traits and know that we like to watch, in my case, say, science fiction on the weekend versus nature through the week, uh, programs by BBC and whatnot. Um, and it's frightening how well they know me. Uh, they know me better than I know myself. This must be an interesting challenge for folk who've sort of come from a traditional bricks and mortar retail space that they come to you and say, Michael, what can you and your team at AT&T Global Business help me with? Because I'm a retailer, I might be a bank, I might be an airline. We're not in the space of chatbots. We have no idea what to do with voice activation. What do those conversations look like? They typically start with a macro business problem, right? Like um, the most common challenge that we're asked to help solve is customer experience. Right, so if you go back to some of the comments I was making around driving traffic to the store, <clears throat> um, technology becomes an enabler of that. But more specifically, what is it that, uh, what is the experience that that brand is going to create inside the store that's going to cre- uh, deliver a better experience to the consumer? So that's the bigger problem. Then you got a variety of different functional feeds to that, right? Like the digital operation is going to say, here's how I'm going to take the digital activity of my consumer irrespective of demographic and figure out how to factor that in and then the marketing organization or whoever the buyers are, whatever analytics are being used to make sure you have the right merchandise in the store that will cater to the consumer that you've been able to identify as your target market. Take all of those factors and then create an opportunity. That's the opportunity that we can come in and start to address with technology. The brand, the feel, the experience, um, but more specifically, the differentiation that that retailer is trying to create 
all gets contributed to from uh, several different voices, but then the technology becomes the solution. Is there a is there a, um, a differentiation between uh, various regions? I mean, the North American market versus Europe or Southeast Asia or even Australia and New Zealand. Are there commonalities across all these sectors that you're facing now, or are you seeing slight divergence where one region may be, uh, you know, still an emerging market? Uh, and I'm not necessarily talking about Africa and India, sort of sections where they're emerging nations, uh, but but just regional. Is there a different expectation of sort of what Europeans have with their ex- experience with retail and adoption of tech and, and willingness to talk to a device versus what uh, the likes of early adopters such as uh, Australia and America might have? The, ver- the variance is exists in the um, technology that's available in the region. So the business problems that we're solving globally are pretty consistent. Um, but depending on what technology is available, for example, some um, regions of the planet are more developed and they have less legacy uh, infrastructure. Uh, so the technology that's in the hands of the consumer drives the proficiency of that consumer, drives the expectation of that consumer, and it also drives the um, uh, the cost to implement technology for the brand that's trying to reach that more um, technology-savvy consumer. Interesting. I've got a couple of other questions around that, but I'd like to just uh, go sideways a little bit because uh, we were just touching on a couple of things there that reminded me that uh, – uh, we've recently just uh, experienced the wow factor of the uh, 2018 AT&T Business Summit in Dallas-Fort Worth, and I had the pleasure of being there with my team. And uh, as you walked into the innovation uh, uh, floor, there were like the six key themes around, you know, FirstNet, which is the, the one that wowed me the most because you've got these amazing devices that fly around like flying cows, um, and uh, the, the microcells on, on drones, uh, everything from, you know, reinventing retail to smart cities to smart manufacturing and health and finance. In the retail one, uh, right as you walked in the door, there was a robot folding shirts that I just was absolutely fascinated with. I want one of those straight away because I'm sick of folding my shirts. Um, but it's interesting, your comment just then around uh, the availability technology and the emergence of it, it seemed to me that um, what you've already got on offer from AT&T is, is significantly ahead of the curve of what number of organizations I'm seeing around the, the world can currently offer. Uh, there must be a number of exciting use cases you can sort of go into either long-running retail uh, operators that have had chains of thousands of stores or even small to medium-sized enterprises that just want to leverage these. Uh, where, is it the case that you're able to blend that sort of professional services and, and tech and emerging so forth uh, uh, capability that we're seeing with the AT&T Business Summit uh, seamlessly or are there still some sort of barriers where they've got to go through key steps to, to get to a maturity curve? Um, let me phase it two questions. I mean, I guess what, firstly, I'd love to get your uh, key takeaways around the business summit and then maybe come back to how some of those uh, technologies are being made available and adopted. If you were to think about the AT&T business summit, uh, just the event itself, what were some of the biggest takeaways that you had from it this year? So the summit, first of all, what I really like about the summit is that it's we're not the only company that's doing a huge, broad, uh, business-based um, couple of day function where we bring as many customers in as possible. We had close to 2,000 clients there this year, uh, attending just to you know look and touch and feel and understand who we are, get exposure to our executives, um, look at the technology as you were referring to out on the um, out on the floor, etc. But I think the way that we are telling our story at the summit is really, really unique. I think it's given the summit a distinct. If you compare it to, you know, like Macworld or Open World or Ignite, 
uh, that some of the other big, you know, other big events that um, other large technology companies host. As the way we're telling our story within the context of that by having um, key global uh, authorities in economics or celebrities, um, as well as key um, leaders of large um, businesses that are our customers, uh, all you know, speaking and interacting on panels and uh, et cetera at this event. It just it creates an enormous um, just impression on AT&T that I think really distinguishes us. So that's first. And your second question was more, um, uh, you're, you're probably going to have to rephrase it for me, but you were asking around um, what I see from the technology floor. Indeed, yeah. It's, you know, when you, particularly when you walked in, the, the, there was just this amazing wow factor, this, this blue ocean sort of impression of these, these really big mm-hmm. verticals. Uh, but there was actual real things there, so I could sit down and actually touch the technology. You know, and as you said, many events are out there, and they, the, there's some also-rans, I would call them, where they, they're attempting to meet what you're doing and, and equal it. But the wow factor of having the humans on stage and that people piece, that, which I'll come back to in a minute, impressed me. Um, but, yeah, I was really keen on getting your thoughts around just what the experience was for people coming and, I guess, also yourself because, you know, many times you're seeing some of the technologies that you've heard about, seen, but not necessarily played with. But the fact that it was there on the floor and working, that just it was like, holy cow, that's impressive. Uh, it, I'm glad I, you know. to hear you say that. Uh, I'm glad to hear you say that because there was a lot of technology there, and I looked at, um, particularly in the domain that I'm responsible for, so right in the retail space, there were um, two things, because we had a space that was dedicated to certain technology capabilities. It's not like there were a bunch of turnkey point solutions sitting there. That's not the intent. The intent was broader, uh, that several technologies were on display, and it's the ability to integrate those and or um, customize them for your specific business that is the opportunity. In addition to that, we also... um, we are a retailer, and we had a uh, retail store set up a few feet from uh, the space where the technology, the robotics, and whatnot that you were referring to were on display. And within that store, um, we had some of our latest technology available. So in some of our flagship stores uh, in the United States, um, we've created an enormous um, um, uh technology experience for the consumer. You can not only come in and purchase anything and everything that we deliver out to the home and to the consumer, but you can also experience technology in a very aesthetic fashion. And we did that same thing in that particular store. So not only could you see our capabilities, and that's all AT&T produced, uh, invented, and delivered. So you can experience it in an actual retail environment, and you can also look behind the curtain and see what kind of technology capabilities are behind the solutions that we're putting out into retail locations yeah that 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 for me was one of the biggest i mean there were a lot of wow factors i mean obviously some amazing names on the stage um some superheroes that i would call them uh, in amongst your team themselves who who made the thing possible but i love the fact that i could you know in many cases i could i could literally play with the finance platform i could see the retail stuff working i could see the smart cities infrastructure working i could sit in a truck simulator and see what 5g is going to do to it um, I, I, I heard anecdotally that um, Rachel Knight, uh, who's the uh, senior VP for Wireless Network Architecture and Design, was given the challenge of roll out a 5G network in this this thing. And uh, I can imagine, say, so, you know, well, what have you got in place? You got the fiber, you got the cables, you got the connectivity, have you got any cells? Um, but yeah, I, I, for me, there were a couple of big wow factors walking in. Obviously, it was very visually impressive. Uh, but the full immersion, uh, you know, and and asking people on the floor, I, I love doing this little trick where I 
talk to strangers and ask them what their impression was. And I think on the whole, at the risk of sounding sycophantic, people generally said, I'd never been this close to the stuff, didn't realise it was working. And I just spoke to this person on the ATT team who actually explained it to me and showed me it could really work. It's not just science fiction. Um, the other thing I was really keen to get your thoughts on was, uh, was there anyone in particular from the amazing array of folk who are there, uh, from the Tony Blairs to the Queen Latifahs, was there anyone in your world that stood out and you just sort of looked and went, gosh, that, uh, that person said something I hadn't really anticipated before or thought before that just stuck with you? Uh, uh, two probably are most memorable for me if I get to vote twice, but you know, I'm, uh, an academic at heart, right? Cause I still teach as well as work in the business world. <laughs> and, uh, I'm also a bit of a closet economist myself too, because I just, I love, uh, macroeconomics because they're such, that's good. It just appeals to my academic brain in terms of how to think in terms of strategy, down the road at immediate and longer term. And so the exposure to Tony Blair was just brilliant. Uh, in addition to that, we had one of the retail um, uh, legends in the house for one of the sessions, Ron Johnson, who's been with Apple and JC Penney's, and now he started a new uh, um, uh, e-commerce business. Uh, and he was um, just kind of a treat given my industry focus here at the company. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I, I asked the question because almost everybody I spoke to had some unique take on it for obvious reasons as to what they were impressed by, not just on the floor, but, but certainly the... And it was just a mind-blowing array of just big names. But it was interesting that it wasn't just big... I didn't get the sense it was just big names for the sake of big names. I didn't get the feel that AT&T just wrote big, fat checks to get famous people there. It seemed to me there was a story to be told. And when I got to the end of the couple of days, uh, all the linkages made sense, whether it was the Chris Gartner's just looking to give people inspiration about what they can achieve in their life and their, their career path. The widow was, you know, as you said, the Tony Blairs and so forth, who actually had real life experience, had been there and had effectively changed world policy. Um, and it all seemed to link to the key verticals, those six key themes. Uh, the interesting thing was, and I'm, I'm keen to get your thoughts on how this impacted your, or impacts your world, but certainly at the event, this whole theme of edge to edge. I mean, it, you know, we've seen devices at the edge, such as FPOS terminals, ATMs, uh, you know, uh, cash registers have all been at the edge of the network in retail. If you're going to, uh, you know, a restaurant experience or a buying experience, even online, retail to me always seems to be something at the edge. Um, you, even if you're a shopping center, uh, was there a particular uh, component around the edge to edge thing that that seems to be flowing through what people are looking for from you and your team, either in consulting professional services or the telco offerings you've got, all the technologies underpin that that links to that edge to edge theme? Because uh, I mean, there's some really big impacts coming at you. I mean. You know, I visualize things like autonomous vehicles. You know, I've now got potentially, if someone's commuting for an hour, I've got an hour to kill in the car. Uh, do I watch Netflix? Do I shop online? Do I buy ebooks? Um, seems that the edge to edge theme that was underpinning the whole event links directly to almost every facet of what you're doing in your day to day world around these uh, three big areas of retail, restaurant, hospitality. So, edge to edge is kind of contemporary um, tell. Uh, I was going to say telco or technology rhetoric, right? So that it's, um, and I don't mean to um, trivialize it in, in saying that, but just how how technology is working and the efficiency that can be created from the ground up today um, is very much driven by what we would commonly refer to as edge-to-edge. -edge. So when I apply that directly to um, 
uh, the customers that I work with, right, in retail, restaurant, hospitality, you're, you you think about what are the technologies that they are trying to integrate, you know, front of house. There's the Wi-Fi and the micro-targeting and the endless aisle and the variety of different payment capabilities uh, that you're looking for, loss prevention, et cetera. And then the back of the house, you've got your analytics and your structured cabling and your clienteling apps and your IoT operational efficiencies, et cetera. All of those things kind of plug into the architecture that is edge to edge. And what the distinction from my perspective on that is that we're talking about technology that builds on the ground up underneath the business as opposed to top-down based on either an application or some other um, functional silo. It's um, more how you take the technology to build a platform on top of which you can run all of these capabilities with the technology. There's um, there's a ma- I mean, there's a number of big topics that we could do whole shows on online, just the, you know, the transition from, I guess, uh, the 802.11x uh, Wi-Fi to the, sort of the emergence of 5G where... I imagine that Wi-Fi is sort of going to be less and less a thing, and more and more we want in-building microcells versus, you know, sort of in-building campus precinct and then regional area coverage and and the magic of network slicing and so forth. Are people asking you about those sorts of challenges? You know, the technologies they've got currently uh, that they've potentially consumed over the last ten or fifteen years from you. Are they asking you already? You, know, what do we do to gear up for five G? What does network slicing mean? How are we going to how are we going to transition to that? I mean, w- w- that must be almost a tsunami of both interest for awareness and education as well as early adoption. So 5G probably comes up in the first two minutes of every meeting that I have with any executive everywhere. Oh, wow, two that's minutes. Been going on. That's <laughs> been going on for quite some time. And I'll tell you, the context of the question is usually twofold. It's what does it mean for me and how can I start thinking about it in terms of the efficiency I can use within my operation and... Uh, in parallel to that, what can I do to create a customer experience with that capability? That's just 5G. I'll challenge you on one comment. I think you also, I heard you say just a minute or two around Wi-Fi because Wi-Fi is a key and critical enabler in this particular in these particular industries that we're working with. And I don't see that going away anywhere anytime soon. As a matter of fact, I see that expanding and 5G being an enormous complement to that for the two reasons I was just talking about. Okay. Yeah, I'm pleased to hear that because, uh, I mean, there's a lot of folk out there predicting the death of Wi-Fi. Uh, but the thing that strikes me, and, and you've just highlighted this, this is a, this is a mature, well-established technology. There's, there's hardware everywhere that's already connected via it. And, uh, you know, I hear a lot of commentators and analysts saying, you know, 5G is going to kill Wi-Fi. Uh, and one of the reasons I asked the question was, was I, was, I was hoping you would get to that point where I just don't see Wi-Fi vanishing quickly uh, any faster than any more than I still see Voltian 4G vanishing. I don't either. Right? Um, I mean that that that's one perspective that it could kill it, but I mean killing it. I think we're a decade away from. It. I mean, well, that's probably too long. <laughs> Five, six, seven years away from um, you know that being a replacement, simply because the ubiquity of 5G will not be that prevalent for that period of time. Right. It's almost like... And then, uh, and then maybe, but Wi-Fi is still a localized network on top of which a, um, a retailer or a business of any kind can run uh, rather cost-efficiently a lot of capability and gather a lot of analytics locally, and I don't see that being replaced that nonchalantly. Yeah, that's a good point. Now, 5G, as a complement to my earlier point will allow you to partition parts of that so you can strip out a certain 
um, microcosm inside your front of house or inside a retail venue and say, okay, I want 5G for this capability because I'm going to need super high speed on this one function of the application that's running here. But for the rest of it, I still want to have analytics on my inventory. I still want to be able to sense the sentiment of my consumers. I still want to be able to connect that um, customer on my preference or the customer on my loyalty app that shared their preferences when they're hitting the parking lot and they did some shopping online, they want to pick it up in store and I want to connect them to door number four where Stanley is waiting with their groceries like that. So Wi-Fi is not going to leave that ca- that capacity anytime soon. I guess there will be a crossover there. I, I was interested to see the amazing use case that you had with the uh, US Open golf tournament recently where you'd partner with a number of folk like Ericsson and so forth to to, to drive 4K high-resolution video streaming from one end of the, you know, from the 18th to the first hole, as it were. Figuratively speaking, that, that must be a thing that's coming about where, let's say, security cameras or sensors that are, you know, tracking movements. And you talked about things like uh, yeah. loss or shrinkage, as they say in retail. Uh, and we see now these new uh, paradigms where you can just walk into a store and pick up things and walk out, and it kind of figures out who you are and how to bill you. 5G, I guess, enables some of those, but at the same time, as you said, you know, for the, the traditional... It does. Wi-Fi can do that, too. Okay. So, so the the example that you're referring to this is my view, right? The, the example you're using around the 5G and the fact that you can run really high-speed video and with enormous clarity, those are such early um, examples of the capacity of that technology. Right. So, again, going back to, like, whoever the commentary is coming from, I'm not going to dismiss that. I just don't think it's, you know, it's not tomorrow. It's not 2019. It's not 2020. No, but no. eventually... Yes, do I see 5G becoming much stronger and bigger in capacity? Absolutely. But we don't even know the um, strength of that technology yet. It has yet to be harnessed. There are all these individual applications that are still in trial, and some of the ones you were mentioning are just early, early rev 5G because, you know, latency and speed and all of those things that technologies have strived to overcome efficiently for years is suddenly here. And so once, you know, there, it's all um, it, it's all a gateway drug, right? As soon yeah, as yeah. we get familiar <laughs> and adopt and start to achieve certain things, we're going to need more and more of it. And that's where 5G will take some time to pace. I, uh, I got in trouble the other day, and I won't say where, but uh, I was in New York at an event, and uh, I described 5G as the Y2K for telco and uh, technology, and, and people weren't so fond of that idea because it seemed to come with a negative connotation. But the key point I was making, you've just highlighted that very nicely uh, and probably summarized it better than I could, and that is that we had no choice with Y2K. It just came, and the date was going to roll over. We had to deal with it. I see 5G as being very similar. It's, it's, it's not so much just another G. It's not a sort of 2, 3, 4 to, to 5G so many ways, but... There are things that have come at us that we, we're going to have to get used to, but uh, I, you know, I agree with you. I don't think it's going to wipe the slate clean. Uh, but at the same time, there's commentators around the place who are very excited and positively agitated about getting it out there, so that's exciting. And we'll, we'll all get spoiled really quickly. This goes back to the example I was talking about with consumer proficiency and expectation with technology. You know, as soon as consumers start to get into a retail or a brand or a theme park environment where 5G is prevalent and all of a sudden they can do all sorts of cool things, um, just in terms of experience, uh, anything less is going to be Bush League in comparison. Yeah. Well, there's an interesting. I had an interesting so conversation. That demand will drive the proliferation for sure. No, absolutely. Well, there's an interesting conversation that also came out of this event last week in New York, and that was that uh, people were talking about uh, augmented reality and virtual reality and how it's going to be uh, a thing of the future. And I said, well, you know, we've already had Pokemon take over the world, and um, that was phenomenal. 
Uh, I think I lost about four or five kilograms in the first two weeks of chasing my son around, chasing new Pokemon uh, creatures. Um, and there are brands around the world that do service uh, delivery outsourcing who have, you know, 20 something, I think it was like 23,000 staff on the ground around the world in data centers using uh, augmented reality for looking at a, you know, a switch or router and uh, on their, their tablet or their phone and it tells them where the little red button to push to reset it is and they'd have never seen a router before. Uh, so I guess there's just different use cases for that. So what are some of the big things that are impacting clients now? When, when folk, folk come to you, I mean, you're literally at the bleeding edge, if you'll pardon the pun, of this whole space around these three big sectors of retail, uh, restaurant, and hospitality. What are some of the biggest concerns they have with sort of the, the transition to these new emerging technologies? What are folk asking you to help them with uh, that, that you, you know, at is better positioned than almost anybody on the planet sort of you know, to help them face? So that's an interesting question because, um, again, in the space that we're working in, I often get asked around the um, what I would consider the business problem first, you know, product availability, shopper experience, consumer insights, operational readiness, that kind of thing. And then when you look at specific technologies or applications like Wi-Fi or digital signage or contactless payment options, um, the question is typically more around ROI, right? Because they're going to have to somehow subsidize the cost of implementing that new capability and at what expense um, and at what gain. Right. And uh, modeling that out is the bigger conversation today than, oh, yeah, we've decided we're just going to implement that technology. And frankly, when I see the latter, um, companies that just say, oh, so we've decided we're going to implement X technology, um, it's it's typically a um, short-sighted investment because, um, you know, you might run a test or two to determine what the ROI might look like. But uh, even so, the what I find is the these applications, I'll call them, as a standalone um, feature or capability are have a very short shelf life. It's the capacity to integrate them um, so that you create a uh, more uh, compelling and um, uh, integrated solution um, or experience across all of the capabilities that really drives the differentiation. Is there still a, a, a significant impact being experienced with your clients that you, you're, you're uh, supporting into this journey of the future around just the fundamental components like digital transformation? Or, or are they, uh, is the market well and truly down the road in that space? And, and as you said, they're now sort of looking at how do we get leaner, keener, and meaner and, and potentially broaden our horizons on the number of stores? I kind of I divide. My answer to that question is going to divide it up by market segment. Okay. Right. Your, your, your largest global brands your big box, your luxury, uh, in those categories, they're much further out in front. Right. Uh, in what I would call the SMB space, small, medium, large business retailers, there's still a lot more question around ROI and, you know, how do I figure out how to move share over to me? And technology can be an enabler, but there's a lot of tire kicking going on still. And then at the very low end of the market, I just it's surprising how much legacy technology you run into. Is that right? I, uh, a low end of the market. I, I mean, yeah, very yeah. small, you know, few locations, um, that kind of, uh, you know, mom and pop, you might refer to it. I guess that goes back to your point around uh, both their appetite to invest and also their ability to model out the value of those investments. Um, 
Is there well, the discussion is there? Yeah, the discussion is there, and the other um, uh, leading hesitation is around the use of consumer data. The whole privacy issue is something everybody's afraid of, and technology is probably much further out ahead than anyone is willing to exercise in the B2C space, because once you cross the line, uh, that's damage that it's going to take you a lot of uh, time and expense to uh, recover. Right. Right. But getting right up to that line where the consumer is comfortable uh, and then continue to move as the, as the consumer's line or barrier moves, you want to move with it. And I get a lot of questions and ask for a lot of help around that, even though it's, I'll tell you my answer is going to be relative to the brand because you right. have to make that decision. I'm not going to tell you, you know, how far to push with or, or get pulled by your customer. You have to decide. But that my point is that concern is heavily prominent. I guess in many ways, uh, you know, AT&T's global business is its own first customer, isn't it? Because you've, you've got to solve some of these issues yourselves internally, and you know, whether it's GDPR or, or various global privacy acts that you've got to manage. Working around, you, you in many ways probably, is it fair to say that you become your, your you know, client number one because you've got to solve it yourselves and then offer that out to the... I'm the only brand I'll, I'll, I'm the only brand I'll betray. <laughs> That's what I say. So I will right? not. I will never go to one uh, customer and tell them what the other is doing. And we frequently get asked, right. "Tell me what my key competitor in this category is buying for me, or what your solution for them." And I will never do that. But the one um, uh, customer if you will, who I will open the kimono and show you everything that's there is our own stores, because I can be transparent <laughs> about that. I like that. That's a quotable quote if I've ever heard one. Well, before we wrap up, because I've had a lot of your valuable time and I really appreciate it, I'm really keen to do something I do with many of my guests, and that is I'd love to hand you a crystal ball, a virtual crystal ball, and say to you, uh, Michael, just to gaze into this virtual, virtual crystal ball for me for a moment, if you were to imagine the next 12 to 18 months some of the, the, the big trends or some of the impacts that are coming over the horizon that some of your customers or potential customers in the future might uh, want to be thinking about, are there any standout things that, that you, you know, given your, your, I guess, your fairly unique view of, of this whole 360-degree uh, world that we're having to deal with now from consumer uh, uh, disruption through to technology disruption and so forth, what what are some of the bigger things you you see coming over the horizon uh, in your world that you're looking to face with your clients? Well, we've talked about a few of them, and I think that you know artificial intelligence, virtual reality, robotics, voice activated, inter, um, uh, electronic commerce. Um, these are all, in my view, still very very much at their in their infancy. So we see them in um, a few areas, and we see certain categories, certainly within the industry I'm working in, I can see more advancement and more productivity with some of them, but they're still pretty early on technologies. And um, 5G, since we've had that conversation, is going to do a lot to enable them because it will um, shift the demand on latency or, or has an ability to share that more readily so that you can concentrate where you want um, speed and performance. And a lot of these capabilities require that. I think, um, you know, the whole digital ecosystem that surrounds 
particularly the industries that we're working with. You look at the multiple screens a consumer has access to and geospatial coordinates, whether they're voice activated or other. Add the social context and the power that the consumer has uh, in their hands, particularly if they have a higher uh, capability socially. Um, the payment uh, complexity that exists now. You referred to, you know, some of the, you know, um, I'm trying not to mention brands, but some of the stores that you can just pick up and walk out and, you know, it automatically yeah. knows who you are and you're charged and add connected vehicles on uh, the capacity for that. And then lastly, what is known in the industry as the last mile and coming from telco that used to mean the conduit, the closest conduit uh, in these industries, it means how do I get the merchandise in the hands of the consumer at the most convenient factor for the consumer? And that's all technology driven. So that whole ecosystem of um, contributing uh, and conflicting technologies that are driven by the convenience uh, and the preference of the consumer add an enormous um, complexity that's really kind of exciting um, for the industry, particularly from a technology perspective. And the last piece you have to layer onto that on top of that is the analytics, an inability to understand who your consumer is and exactly what they're looking for becomes critical. And um, how you gather that data uh, is also moved on the technology spectrum really, really rapidly. It's no longer surveys and loyalty apps that just doesn't give you as honest a representation as um, a single view or a consistent view of your inventory and your backend supply chain. So integrating all those different capabilities, I think, are just going to continue to add um, uh, what I call excitement, but demand on technology. And 5G will be a part of that. Wi-Fi will be a part of that. Edge-to-edge -edge computing and cloud capabilities are all going to be a part of that. But um, how they come together um, as we start to rebuild the foundational layer that supports all of that is what I anticipate um, being the greatest demand in the next several years. That's an exciting future. Uh, last quick one, if you don't mind. Uh, the thing that really struck me from the uh, 2018 AT&T Business Summit in Dallas uh, a few weeks ago was the central core. What really struck me in the heart was it was focused on humanities. People were seen to be at the center of everything. Whether it didn't matter whether it's retail, uh, whether it's uh, you know your your key sectors around retail, restaurant, hospitality, whether it's health, finance, everything seemed to link back to people and humanities. Uh, thinking about the, the 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 emergence of so many new technologies, are people at a risk of having too much technology? Do we do we, is there potentially a backlash where people want things to be a little bit simpler and not too technical? I wonder. I can't answer that question because I think that's <laughs> a very personal question. Right. Right. I mean, we, we know from demographic work, uh, different, um, uh, different people respond differently to technology and adopt it differently. But there is consistency um, across some of the demographic um, profiles. So we see that. But no, it's a big uh, question. I, you know, <laughs> the horse uh, is out of the barn, is my view, right? Technology is not going to retreat. That's a good point, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's almost in our DNA in many ways. Well, Michael, thank you so much for making so much time available. Today. I know it's the end of your very busy day, and I really appreciate you uh, giving me so much of your time. It's very, very generous of you. Uh, and, folks, with that, we'll wrap up. Uh, you've had the amazing experience of listening to Michael Colinari, the uh, VP of Retail, Restaurant Hospitality within AT&T's Global Business. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Michael, and hopefully we'll have you back on the show again soon. Likewise. Love to. Anytime. Thank you.